When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, cool. Um, I got to remember, how do I start this? Uh, okay, you guys ready? Yep. Yeah. Hello, welcome to the At The High podcast, part of the Espionation Network podcast. Uh, we're back for now for the draft. Uh, this is Jonathan, site manager and your host, and I'm joined by Chase and Jack, Chase, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm excited to get back in the saddle here. It's It's been a while, but this is going to be a, a good draft show to get everybody locked in before tomorrow night. It's it, yeah, Your draft it's has the, come up so fast. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, and we'll kind of get to why in a second, but I think the fact that the Hornets have decided to just like bombard us with news in the like lead up to it is like, oh yeah, there's a draft happening in, like next week too. Um, but anyway, before we get into all that, Jack, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, excited to be here. Talk Hornets, talk draft. The draft is always my favorite because I'm I love just mindlessly theorizing about how good prospects can be. And I feel like this is a good draft for that. So I'm I'm excited to talk about that. <laughs> I think so, too. I don't know what it is like as much as I love basketball and I don't know why I feel like I forget this every year. But like I have this like renewed passion and like interest in basketball like this time of year when like nothing real is actually happening you miss it and then you you, you start to right. remember how much you like it because you're like oh <laughs> it's already june i still have three more months until they play again and then you get right, right. you get sucked right back into it the nba does a good job at uh keeping us all oh yeah hooked during the summer yeah. months anyway too <laughs> I feel like it's a great time to play GM too. Like you can unlock your, your deep desires. Like if I was a basketball GM, I get to theorize and pick which players I want. It's, it's like, it's like a giant game of 2k almost just in your head and in, in writing form. <laughs> Chase, Chase did that for us once a couple of years ago where he just like, he took, I think it was like around this time of year, like in somewhere around now, you're just like, I basically took uh, the Hornets and, and went in 2k and did what they should do for the off season. Uh, yeah, and, I think it was like the first uh, summer during COVID that I did that. I think that so was too. fun too. Yeah, those are it is it is it is always fun and also makes it seem way easier than it really is to be a general manager because like it's kind of skewed in your favor because <laughs> it's a video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can you can change the settings and make it a lot easier for yourself. <laughs> you can, which absolutely. Unfortunately, you can, you can, you can't do in real life. Yeah, save <laughs> save it before free agency and when like the player you didn't when you realize that like ah this plan didn't work you just like turn off your game and go back in and try again. And <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. after on my fifth attempt at the offseason, I finally got all the players I wanted in the order I wanted them, and the team is actually good now. Um, that Yeah, that doesn't really happen in real life. But uh, to kind of start, before we talk about the draft stuff, I guess to kind of set the stage on what's going on around the Hornets, obviously Kenny Atkinson backed out of the deal to be the Hornets head coach, which I think has been talked about plenty um, on the internet. I don't think we need to go into a whole lot of depth on that uh on the show but mike d'antoni interviewed with michael jordan um i'm i'm assuming given the lack of news otherwise like he's probably gonna be the guy if he says yes right like chase you think so 
Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Like, and it seems like I, at first I wasn't sure if the whole like him being the second choice that got passed over, and then the Hornets going back to him to ask him for the uh, if he wanted to take the job would work out. But it seems like he's okay with that, given the news that has come came out since Kenny Atkinson backed down. So, uh, I mean, I it it looks like he'll be the guy so far. Right, like you don't you don't even entertain that meeting if it's not like if you're right, no, right, no, exactly. You. Like you said no, and then Jack, what, I guess for both of you, but I'll start with you, Jack, because it was just Jason's turn. Like, are you cool with that? Like Mike D'Antoni, we cool with that? Yeah, I, I think it's fine. I mean, of the <laughs> options, I I think it was. I mean, it was down to him and Atkinson, anyways. I probably leaned Atkinson, but realistically speaking, I don't think either would be bad. But at this right. point, it, you know, it's now just going to be okay. The offenses could be really good. But let's see if the defense can hold up. And at that point, you're just talking about adding guys that D'Antoni can use on offense, but also play defense. And that, that's just another level that the Hornets have to figure out. But, hey, if the offense is fun and D'Antoni can get the LaMelo train running even further, then I'm fine with it. Right. And Chasey, like, kind of in lockstep with that, too? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like, I mean, you I don't think... hate Mike D'Antoni? No, no. I, I mean, I, I originally, like, right when the process started, I mean, he was probably towards, like, the bottom of like my list, which really was right. just Darvin Ham, Kenny Atkinson, and <laughs> Mike D'Antoni, but obviously Darvin <laughs> Ham was still, still on the podium, right? And then <laughs> they they hired Kenny Atkinson, did not work out. So I mean, but I mean, Mike D'Antoni is obviously still a really good coach. It's just how long that he might be here as right a, an older guy. But <clears throat> I assume that the plan would be to give him like a younger assistant or maybe mm. some group of assistants that could potentially. Uh, like secede him as the head coach if he ends up not wanting to do it in like three or four years or something. So I think it's still a, a fine plan. And like Jack said, the offense is going to be awesome. They'll be better than they were at right. times when they were like the best offense in the league during portions of the year. So definitely a good thing. Yeah. So one other, well, to, to kind of like, I guess one other thing before I kind of share my thoughts on it, do I, I feel like people have created this, false dichotomy in the discussion about like Atkinson and D'Antoni and everything where like Atkinson is the development guy and D'Antoni is like the win now guy and now that we have D'Antoni instead of Atkinson we're gonna like re-change how we approach things and I think all that's like looking way too much into it do you guys think so as well yeah I I feel like absolutely and obviously they have those reputations like D'Antoni leading these playoff teams Kenny Atkinson building up that Nets team which is realistically the only like thing he's known as the developmental guy for, which is fair enough. Right. I mean, he, he did a good job, but I feel like the Hornets are still going to run the organization the same way. It's just a matter of, like I said, I feel like it'll just be more offense, less defense now that D'Antoni's here. And even that might be just a stereotype from his Rockets days. Yeah. 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 And like Mike D'Antoni's working with the Pelicans now, which aren't exactly like, I mean, maybe going into next season they are, but going into this season, the last couple of years, they weren't like a win now team. That's like, we yeah. need to gun for a top playoff seed or anything like that. Like they're, they're bringing young players along as well. And he's been a, like a consultant or a coaching assistant or something yeah. along those lines for them. So, I mean, I think he could still be like a good developmental coach for the Hornets. And I mean, <laughs> this is, we're going to, we could hammer this home if he actually ends up getting hired, but <laughs> he's just going to be so good for every player offensively that like, it's probably just worth taking him. Like right. if he's uh, wants to take the job. Yeah. And I guess my last thing on that is like, for one, I think D'Antoni like obviously is offensive oriented and his offense has always been very good. His defense, people like the conversation is like, we're going to score 150 and give up 148 a game. But like his defenses are typically like middling, which is not great. You want great defenses, but like, I think people 
have that. He has a reputation because they play fast and they give up a lot of points, but that's just the nature of the pace. Like their defenses haven't been bad, but the other thing kind of on that same point, like there's the dichotomy I was talking about with like win now and development. Like I think not even on the coaching side of things in this particular instance, but in general, I don't think that's such a black and white situation that people always make it out to be. Like you don't declare like this is win now season and next year is like last year was development season. This is win now season. Like you're just like trying to get better all the time. There's never, I, I don't think it's that cut and dry. So and I, I feel like the perfect example of that is the Grizzlies, not to cut you off. Like, I right. don't think the Grizzlies were aiming this season to be the second best team in the West. I think they right. just played like that. So, yeah, you just you get better. And then like every year you try to make your team better and eventually you win more and you keep winning more games. And eventually like, oh, now we're winning. We're, there's not like a all right time to push the chips in type of situation. Obviously, there's differences if you trade for superstars and stuff. But in general, like you're not going to change your approach. Like it's not that's not that cut and dry, like I was saying. But anyway. Uh, to move on, the other two things real quick to prep us for the draft. Uh, talk Mason Plumley's back. Um, I think some, yeah, I know we were all yeah. we were all waiting very nervously, hoping that the team would keep him around. Um, so we're all we can all that weight is lifted off our shoulders. So Mason Plumley uh, is a Hornet still as of this recording. That could change at any moment, but um, I think on that front, and you guys can add any thoughts you want, but I think that's really Mason Plumlee's fine. He's like an average NBA player. You probably don't want him starting as a center, but if you have to and you have other pieces that can like kind of do like a committee approach, he's fine in a committee. Also, he's like a perfect size salary to fit into trades. So there's really no reason for the Hornets not to let his contract uh, guarantee going into the offseason. Yeah, I feel like you just, you put it best when you're like, He's $9 million, and that's enough to match a trade. Like, and realistically speaking, I feel like people hate on Plumlee a bit too much at this point. Like, obviously, he wasn't Agreed. great for the Hornets last season, and I think the hopes were skewed because of how well he looked playing on the Pistons, who we have to level <laughs> expectations and realize they're the Pistons. And so anybody <laughs> can probably look good on that team, or at least last year's Piston team. Yeah. Um, but as a backup center, like say the Hornets, as we'll get into draft a center that the coach is willing to start and give serious run to having Plumlee as a guy to play 20, 25 minutes a night really isn't the end of the world. Probably a good thing. No, it yeah. definitely, it definitely yeah. would be a good thing. <laughs> and I, honestly, like if he play, if he plays under Mike D'Antoni, like that passing that he uses will look even better. Uh, yeah. And I mean, presumably he won't be allowed to bring the ball up court as much, but uh, <laughs> in the half court, he'd probably be pretty effective. And yeah, I mean, the $9 million salary slot is just so much more valuable than even he is as a player. Not that he even has like zero value or on the court or anything like that, but like you could package $9 million and like a couple smaller salaries and get a pretty decent player that makes like 14 or $15 million dollars. You package him and Kelly Oubre and get somebody that makes like $20 million or if you wanted to, like there's just a lot of options that you get by keeping him and having that $9 million than just waving him and having like $4.6 million dead cap and like just an open roster spot that you can really only fill with a minimum deal. Right. Cause yeah, th that's not going to save the Hornets any space under the cap. Also, I think one other thing with Plumlee is the player. I think he started off so poorly that everyone was so sick of him that no one noticed that he played like a lot better the last few months of the season. The um, free throw shooting did not help his case at all. If he shot 55% <laughs> from the line. Like I feel like he's probably just 
like someone that nobody talks about at all, like good or bad. Probably. But Probably. The, the 30% definitely <laughs> did not happen. Definitely draw some attention to like your <laughs> ineffectiveness. <laughs> yeah, when, when you're the like one of the worst all time in anything, people will talk about it, unfortunately. <laughs> when you start shooting with your non-dominant hand and doing better. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um. So the last thing I want to talk about before we get into the draft stuff, that why everyone is here. Um, uh, there is a report that the Hornets are hesitant to match a max offer sheet for Miles Bridges, and then to kind of like further set the stage for that, the Pistons just shipped off Jeremy Grant for no players in return um, to create space to offer him a max salary contract. Um, before I, yeah, I'll start with you this time, Jack. How much do you believe that? And are you concerned? It seems really hard to believe that the Hornets wouldn't give Miles Bridges a max contract just because of how generally willing teams are to pay their guys nowadays in the NBA. Um, it's, I guess, a little concerning if you want to like really dive into it, like say, like even, even that's out there, but from the perspective of Miles and the Hornets, I, I'm pretty sure Miles Bridges put out some sort of tweet with like, I don't know if it was eyes emoji or something. Uh, it just feels like a ploy to get him more money, which is fine. Like that's what people do in, in the NBA nowadays uh, just to get paid more. Yeah. Miles Bridges tweeted out the laughing emojis when the, the news came out. So I have to oh, assume yeah. it's just like his agents or other teams like trying their best. But the fact that the Pistons did just make this move with Jeremy Grant, like, you know, there are going to be other offers for, for Miles Bridges. But if I had to like place a bet right now, I'd say 90% he's on the Hornets next year. At least 90, like 99. Yeah. <laughs> like he'll be in Charlotte. Come on. Like, yeah. Right. Chase. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And like the wording of that is like, what team isn't hesitant to pay a player <laughs> that like, isn't like Luka Doncic or Jason Tatum mm. or Zion, like a max contract. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. hesitant is one thing. Unwilling is, is a completely different scenario. And I don't think that they're unwilling at all. Like every, everything that Jack said, plus like, they have never said, like, when given the opportunity, like the front office or coaching staff or anything, has never said anything other than, like, really positive stuff about Miles. So that doesn't really seem like a team that is itching to let one of their top two guys go, uh, like, if it's for nothing, especially in free agency or even for a sign-and-trade. But right. the Pistons will definitely have money. I think they have money to throw a max at him and DeAndre Ayton now, which is pretty crazy, but you know what else I think that that opens them up to? It's not Miles Bridges, but another Charlotte Hornets forward that is already making a lot of money. Yes, they they have plenty of plenty of cap space to take on a $30 million contract if they wanted the 13th or the 15th pick in the draft or something like that, because they could use that to move up to four with the Kings and get Jaden mm-hmm. Ivey to pair in the backcourt with Cade Cunningham, and then they're cooking with gas up in Detroit. <laughs> So I mean, this is uh, now I'm really I'm, I, that this is all just right off the top of my head, and I already went way <laughs> down this road. Uh, that's probably never going to happen. But I mean, they, they, I mean, not only do they have space for Miles Bridges now, which is slightly worrying, uh, they also have space for Gordon Hayward. Which, if the Hornets want to move on for him, that that is helpful. That there's another team that really would still have a ton of space, even if they did take him on. Right, like that's there. There's another avenue there. I think, yeah, the cap space. The way the NBA is now, I feel like cap space is more useful for trades than it is for actually signing players. Unless yeah, you're exactly. A, a small agree. handful of desirable places to go. 
but like We're basically like LA, New York, Miami. right? But yeah, but then even, but yeah, but then even then, like most of their signings are when they're over the cap and they sign and trade players. Yeah. So, so it's not that you're not like if you're Detroit, it's not like the NFL where you're like the Jaguars and you're freeing up eighty million dollars of cap space and you sign just all of the big free agents because you're the only team that has money to offer them. Like no, nobody's gonna go to Detroit for $30 million when like Miami makes an offer for $30 million and just has to trade some stuff. So exactly. But to, to the, the tweet that, um, that was shared is from Bradford Combs. Uh, it says, whenever you read rumors online, it's important to consider who the source could be and what they have to gain by providing that information, because it's not to keep you the fan informed and that to, for the miles bridges thing, uh, especially cause it was broken by Shams and Shams, his agency is like partnered with Clutch, who represent Miles represents Miles Bridges. So, and I think Shams is pretty much like at the forefront of all Clutch client related news. Um, they have every motivation in the world to make thing make teams think that if they offer Miles Bridges the max, they could get him. Because if the news is out, if the, if it's out there that the Hornets are going to match every any offer, which would probably be nice if the Hornets let that leak, but the Hornets don't leak anything, but if that's the if that's the kind of prevailing wisdom, teams don't make offers because you type their cap space, their cap is held for those that time while the the matching period is like in effect, and then you don't get your guy, and you've also like potentially missed out on other ways to use that cap space. So, I I think it's just Jack said at first, but like it's just I think it's just a thing by clutch. It's a negotiating tactic because you're going to entice teams to offer him a max contract. And then the Hornets are going to have to match whether they're hesitant or not, they're going to match. And then miles gets more money out of it. Yeah. Also, it's all think about clutch. Money. Also think clutch hates the fact that miles said at one point that like he would take less money to stay in Charlotte. Cause he loves it. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> I remember he also said that they had to talk him out of taking a four year, <laughs> $80 million deal, which is like, Miles, I would have talked you out of that. Like, <laughs> Miles like, is the worst client for an agency right? like Clutch because yeah. he's just like, I just want to play basketball and like win games. Like I'm making enough money, and yeah, I, I think that's. He's, yeah. But he's got to do, and then you know, it makes the agent like the agents. The agents want players to get paid probably more than the players do because then he gets them more clients and they get more money and all that stuff too. Um, but anyway, draft time. So to start with this. Uh, I think we're going to probably focus this conversation to start from the majority of the time around the Hornets picks at 13 and 15. I don't think they'll use both of the picks because like, like Chase, like you said, attaching it to like Gordon Hayward to clear up cap space or um, packaging them together to move around or to like acquire players. It just, it doesn't seem likely that the Hornets want to bring in two more late lottery picks on top of book Knight and Kai Jones that did not play at all last year, really. Um, But I think the most likely situation is that they pick at least once in that 13 to 15 range. You guys think that's fair, right? Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. So I think, you know, we focus because those two picks are kind of one and the same in terms of like the type of players that will probably be available, um, especially given the Hornets need for a center and the fact that the Cavs pick in between their two picks and they're definitely not going to take a center. So anyway, um, I guess we'll start with this. Like realistically speaking, of the players that we kind of like see in that range, Chase, like what are your kind of like ideal situations? Like who are your favorite players in that range for the Hornets? 
So I think if 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 they keep either both of them or just one of them, they have mm-hmm. to get one of the two centers, whether Jalen Duran mm-hmm. slides to them and is available at 13, uh, in which case I would probably just keep that pick and do whatever deals that have presented themselves with the 15th pick rather than mm-hmm. uh, if they have anything on the table for the 13th pick because I really like Jalen Duran. Um, yeah. I think he compares very favorably to uh, one Jack Simone's very close, Robert Williams the third. Uh, he he's, even, he's even a little bit bigger than uh, yeah. than Robert Williams. Uh, super, super athletic, pretty underrated passer. Uh, really good finisher around the rim. Mark Williams is really good too, though. But I just think uh, I think he has a lot of the same strengths. But given that he's even bigger than Jalen Duran uh, and like a little bit slower in space, uh, he and he struggled in the pick and roll a little bit in college. Uh, he might not be like a long term or like a late round playoff uh, center. Like might get. Uh, in trouble and sort of set different sort of matchups in that setting, but uh, I mean, there are there, if they, as long as they get one of those two guys, I would be happy. And there are a ton of like guards and wings and forwards that I like in that range that I'm sure we'll get to. But um, mm. Jack uh, or John, do you, either of you guys have a, a favorite prospect, <laughs> or do, which one of you guys? Or actually, I'll ask you guys this: Who do you prefer between uh, Duran and Mark Williams? Just for the like the Hornets fit, if both were available at 13 or 15. You go first, Jack. I think they're like almost scarily close in like similar <laughs> prospects. Like it, it's kind of wild how close they are to prospects. Like I, I'm looking at um Kevin O'Connor's draft board, the ringer and like one of the stats, literally they've each attempted 13 threes this season and neither of them made a single one. Like, like, <laughs> like even small stuff like that. Like it's crazy how similar they are. I've usually in the past leaned towards Mark Williams just because I like the length. I like the athleticism and I like the, like stupidly long wingspan but in recent weeks like Jalen Duran like everything I've heard and watched and like done my you know due diligence on like the dynamicism that he can potentially bring just with that like you said like better lateral quickness and ability to keep up I I guess I think I'd probably lean more towards Duran but at the same time I don't think he'll be available uh, at 13 or 15 because I I feel like he'll be off the board by then but um yeah it's it's like weirdly close but i'd probably <laughs> lean jalen duran right now yeah i think like so for me if if it was me making the decision and they were both there somehow i take duran but then if the hornets liked williams better and pass on duran for him i also wouldn't be mad about it because i think it's close enough to where you can justify like one over the other i know like like you said jack mark williams he has like a nine foot nine standing reach which is insane it's and crazy. It's <laughs> he, he's the second longest player to ever go to the combine behind Taco Fall. And if you're expecting someone to be longer than seven <laughs> foot six Taco Fall, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Taco, right. Taco with coordination out of this world. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Cause yeah, he's actually like mobile and skilled, but Dur- like Duran being Duran being what a year or two younger. And then he's like two years younger actually. And, um, yeah, he should be graduating high school right now, not entering the NBA draft, basically. Graduating high school by basketball player standards. Like, by yeah. regular people standards, he's a regular age college freshman, but most, like, high-level prospects play, like, that prep year and stuff. Right. But um, he's – so, yeah, he's, like – because, like, Mark Williams is two years older than him, and he's a sophomore, and Duran is, Duran is a freshman. Um, But I think that extra mobility that Duran has, has is a little bit more appealing like I think that is a net a bigger positive than Williams' gargantuan size 
because like you said, the the it's, it allows for a little bit more flexibility in matchups, and it's a little less likely he gets played off the floor. Plus, I think he's probably a little bit better, or has like shown a little bit more flashes of being able to kind of fit in a ball movement style of offense, where I think Williams is a little bit more straight catch and finish type of guy. I don't think either of them are going to be like creating offense or shooting jumpers or anything, but I think you can maybe do a little bit of the like bam out of Bayou, like catch the ball on the elbow and move it around stuff with Duran that you couldn't necessarily do as much with Mark Williams. But I think like you said, Chase, the Hornets, whatever they do, if they pick with 13 or 15, or if they only have one of them, like that's, they have to get one of those two. I don't think you can not draft like you have to take that opportunity because those are both really good center prospects and the Hornets still need a center. I don't know what we have in Kai Jones, but like, why not have two good young centers, right? Exactly. And like, even if you draft Kai or, or uh, Jalen Duran or Mark Williams, uh, Kai hopefully projects to be a decent enough shooter where you could maybe play him at the four. And then you you have so much length and athleticism and defensive versatility. Uh, if everything pans out for, both of these players. So I, I definitely agree. They got to take a shot on one of those guys, but if they keep both picks, uh, it, they definitely have a shot to get obviously one of the two centers and then a really high quality, like wing or forward in this draft too, just because right. someone, someone is bound to fall. Uh, and I, I mean, if, if Chet goes number one, I think there's a decent chance that Duran could slide to them because the thunder will, will take uh, Jabari Smith and then, it kind of just tumbles down from there. The players that are available, but uh, otherwise, I think that they'll they'll have a pretty good chance to get a really good guard or forward or wing with that fifteenth pick. One, the one other thought with the centers and Kai to kind of that I just thought of that it's kind of been a thing lately, right? Where the NBA went all small ball, and it's still small ball in like high leverage situations. But there's been more teams having success where they play two like centers where they don't post them up, but they kind of use that size to where like, there's always a rim protector defensively, even in switching situations. And then as long as at least one of them is a threat to shoot threes or shoot jumpers, you, there's enough spacing on the floor on the offensive side of things that you can have, you can still run like an NBA offense. And I think the Hornets could probably, you know, make that a thing. They have one of Duran and Williams along with Kai Jones. If Kai Jones actually, you know, proves to be the shooter that he could be yeah exactly like the Celtics just got sorry Jack the Celtics just got to the finals with Al Horford and Robert Williams we just talked about Jalen Duran being like Robert Williams I mean if Kai Jones could be a shooting threat similar to Al Horford like there we go but go ahead Jack no I was gonna say and this is I guess sort of my hot take for the draft (laughs) I would almost and I said hot take for a reason prefer the Hornets take Jeremy Sohan over both of the two centers because i mean you look at it he's only an inch shorter than duran and like you guys both said it's transitioning towards small ball anyways i think the fit of kai jones with jeremy sohan is almost better than with either of the other two if we did want to take kai into the equation but even not like six foot nine is not too short to play center anymore he's six nine two thirty he's i would argue like outside of maybe Chet, one of like the best defenders in the draft in terms of a pure defensive potential. He doesn't shoot the ball very well, which is the one downside. But as we've seen with, like you guys said, I mean, you look at the final four teams in the NBA, Robert Williams, Bam Adebayo, and Kevon Looney, none of them can shoot threes. And they were all starting centers on championship caliber teams. Um, the, Not to get ahead of the Hornets, but 
I really like he, he's the guy in this draft that I love more than anybody else, especially in the Hornets range. So if there was a, if they had the option of all three of them and they were only making one pick, my hot take is I, I'd rather see them take Jeremy Sohan. I don't hate it. Actually, I think I kind of like that too. And especially <laughs> if Mike D'Antoni's the coach, because he's like one of the very few players in really this class or any class, because this term gets overused way too much now, but he's one of the very few guys that actually has potential to switch like one through five across Absolutely. all positions and defend every position in, in the NBA in this class. Uh, and like offensively, the big swing skill is like definitely shooting. If he's not a good shooter, then he's probably not like a starting level player in the NBA. He's probably more like a, like a PJ Tucker type backup. Um, Which is but if he great. does shoot, yeah, it's still, I mean, that still would be, would be a very good player to have like on any team, but uh, even if he, and if he on offensively, if he does shoot, like he does so much else otherwise, like he can create off the dribble, he can pass a little bit. And then obviously he's so good defensively and he plays like really, really hard with like an edge that not, that many players on the Hornets play with, especially defensively. <laughs> so I actually, I think I actually would like that. And I think you're right that he does fit with, with Kai a little bit better too, assuming everything pans out for everybody. Cause then you have so much length and switchability and like off the dribble creation and scoring and floor spacing offensively. Yeah. I think so on was going to probably be the, the guy I wanted to talk about next, because for me personally, he's, I'm very excited by the, the the potential that he brings i know this isn't like like he does like those things where just like to use this as a hornet thing and i know it's going to sound bad because everybody kind of soured on him by the end of his term ten, tenure here but like he's like how michael kidd gilchrist was coming out it's like another chance to roll those dice in terms of like who we thought michael kidd, kidd gilchrist could be right like the shot was yeah. not as broken in college as it was ended up being with the bobcats but like the shot is there it needs to need some work but he does everything else well and the defense is like he's so fun to watch like on ball defensively the way he moves his feet and the way he cuts people off and just the fact that he doesn't stop and to both of your guys points like he's exactly like i think you said it chase like exactly what the hornets need in terms of somebody that like really like actually really prides themselves defensively and kind of brings some energy to that end of the court so i and he can play like three to five, like offensively, and he can guard anybody, but like he can play the center. So if you can't shoot and you just kind of like keep him as like a small ball center, he's still a, a useful player there because he's big enough to do that. And then even if you think about a small ball lineup where he's like the center and PJ Washington's the four and Miles Bridges is the three, like that's like that's an exciting lineup to have, I think. Absolutely. That, that, that was just my hot take. I wanted to bring it up. I don't think I it's that there. hot. I think because it's because I wouldn't be mad at it. Like, I, yeah, it would, that's yeah. true. Maybe maybe other people would, but I think the three of us. <laughs> oh, people we, certainly would be mad yeah. about it. Well, uh, and like if they end up keeping both picks, like that kind of goes into like the whole thing with like playing the draft board. Like, unless they are afraid that someone's going to trade up to fourteen and take mm-hmm. Mark Williams or Jalen Duran or something, mm-hmm. it might benefit them to just take whichever non-center that they like best just to be sure that the Cavs can't take them and then just take the center at 15 because presumably they're not going to take a center themselves. And unless someone trades up for it, they would be, they'd be basically getting two players that they would have taken at 13. Right. Like the the Cavs, two of their three best players are both probably best as centers. And then they have a a glaring hole on the wing and there's a bunch of wing prospects around that are going to probably be available that pick. So there's, 
I can't imagine a scenario where they're like they get a chance to get like a wing that can score like Branham or uh so or Jang or somebody like that and they're like, nah, let's get another center. <laughs> yeah, so we can play f- like four big men twenty five <laughs> yeah, minutes a game. Yeah, and then they got marketing in there too that they just paid a bunch of money for, which I don't know if that's a long term <laughs> plan, but like yeah. they just like he can, he can play shooting guard now. <laughs> I mean they played him at Darius the three. Garland. Darius Garland <laughs> yeah. with four centers on the court, that's gonna be their lineup. That's basic. They got very close to that at times this past year. <laughs> it was, it would be like Darius Garland, and then it was like Darius Garland and Colin Sexton were both very small, and then it just says so like two guys that are six feet tall, and then everyone else is seven feet tall on the court. They just have no one between six one and six ten on the on the floor at any moment. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun to watch. But it was I mean, weird. it worked for most of the year until. Yeah. Like, yeah, for some... pretty much like like sixty games, it worked. Like, and then they just like tanked at the end of the year. But yeah, yeah, you know, it, which we 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 got into the or higher lottery pick because of it. So that's fine, yeah. right? Because yeah. <laughs> and then they ended up not making the playoffs at all. But uh, other than that, so I wanted to kind of talk about a couple other players. So we did like the SB Nation mock draft, and we ended up with Johnny Davis, and to kind of like. I kind of explained this in the justification for the pick, but I was like watching the I was watching the rest of the the, the blogs make their picks, and when it got to the the Hornets turn, when I got to my turn, I was like, this is so annoying. Like this is like exactly what I did not want to have happen. Like not that Johnny Davis is not a great like prospect, but he's not super exciting. I think, um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just me. But it was just kind of like this isn't really like the the really nice fit that I was hoping to get at 13, but I can't not take him because he's like, it feels like there's kind of a line in terms of like tiers right around this 13th spot. And so you kind of have to take like the last player that's left. Like, and that was Johnny Davis in that situation. Do you guys kind of see that the same way? Yeah. I, I think Davis will end up going 10 to the wizards. Cause like, that's what everyone is basically saying at yeah. this point. But I think you put it best where he's just not the exciting player. Like he's not this crazy good defender like Jeremy Sohan. He's he's a don't get me wrong, he's a great defender for the wing, but he's not like this potential generational defender like a lot of people think Sohan is. And he's not the the center that the Hornets very clearly desperately need. And he's just kind of like packed into this guard room with Lamelo Terry, um, just th- that whole like thing over there. And I guess it makes sense like you're hearing all these rumblings. Oh, maybe they'll ship Terry off for he who shall not be named or in general, just, you know, <laughs> trade Terry in the next couple of years. And then at that point, I actually really like the fit of Johnny Davis next to LaMelo ball. But right now for the immediate future, which is basically what everyone likes to think about. It's not like, it's not the sexy pick. I'll put it that way. That, that's the right. wording that you kind of have to use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like a dude that is like, he scored really well in college, but it's not with a bunch of flash or flair. Like he's not a crazy athlete. He's not like filling it up from three. He just kind of like works hard. He just kind of grinds, which is obviously he's very effective at that. And he's a very good defender, like you said. But it's just kind of like this is just I don't know. It probably ends up being like the right value at that spot. But when you're kind of dreaming big at draft time, it's not what you're kind of envisioning. Yeah, like I would be just satisfied i think with picking johnny davis like it's pretty, it's pretty much the way it's a way to put it like he has a couple of really good skills that would really help uh like his so so basically him and lamella ball as a backcourt pairing i think would be all right because he's a combo guard that can take lamella off the ball a little bit we saw that that worked pretty well at times last year because of how good of a shooter lamella has developed into 
uh, and Johnny Davis is a pretty good passer. Uh, but he doesn't get downhill, like get to the rim nearly as well, I think, uh, or in the NBA, as, or at least as he did at Wisconsin, and not well enough to like be like a long-term starting pairing with Lamella. Like I think you really want somebody that can like create shots at the rim for themselves because uh, that, I mean, unless Lamella becomes a really good attacker and gets a lot stronger, like that's probably going to be like the lar- biggest weakness or largest weak spot in his game anyway. Uh, relative to how good that he is all at pretty much everything anyway. But um, And then on defense, like Johnny Davis's screen navigation is probably the best individual skill of any prospect like in the draft. Like he can just flawlessly get over screens. He, he can push his way through a big man. He flips his hips and like gets on top of them. He can get really skinny and squeeze between people. Uh, and he he's just never his motor just never stops uh, really on either end, but especially on defense. So he would definitely help with that as well, because that's probably Lamelo's biggest defensive weakness right now, uh, which I think will probably just get better over time once he has more experience uh, as like a lead point of attack defender, which he'd never really had to do until he got to the Hornets. But Johnny Davis has definitely done that uh, in bunches. So that that would help a lot. But the, he just has a couple of th- – and, like, he's not a good shooter either. He was 30.6% uh, last year at Wisconsin. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sold entirely on him being, like, a long-term starter with Lamella. But if he was there, like, you basically have to pick him because he would be a good player in the league and he's the best player available probably and all that kind of thing. So you, maybe you could see if somebody wants to trade for him at that rate. Right. I think that's, yeah, it just, it's just like when I got there, I was messaging you guys and it was like, I mean, I guess we Johnny Davis, right? Cause it feels like <laughs> it, it feels like he's the best prospect. Like he's clearly like the last player left in this tier. Like we're dropping down a tier to reach for someone if we don't take him, but also like, it's just kind of a clunky fit. And with, with the way the Hornets are already set up. Cause it's like, he's a, he's a good defender, which is obviously a very valuable skill. And that might be his bigger selling point than his offensive play. But then it's like, he's an offensive player that can't get to the rim, but also doesn't shoot that well. So he's kind of like one of those things is going to have to change from to really be a high, like high level positive player on offense. Um, and it, with an already ball dominant, like Lamelo is going to have the ball in his hands all the time. So Johnny Davis, who's ball dominant in college, you're like expecting him to either just be a bench guy or change how he plays to fit what's already here. And that's just kind of like, not super, I don't know, not super exciting, I guess. Um, not that it wouldn't work out. In some in some manner, um, the other wing that I think has been one of the thing that's been interesting. Uh, there's a couple other wings. We have uh, Malachi Branham. Is that is that how you say his last name? I don't know if I've ever heard it out loud. Yeah, yeah, that's um, it. That's it. Malachi Branham, and then because and Jack, you wrote about him in more detail. And then the other thing that I've seen that's a little interesting. Uh, ESPN has AJ Griffin from Duke falling to 13, and like really? if, if that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that either. That's interesting. So <laughs> I would be very that would be that's kind of like become my like dream draft scenario. Like we'll That'd be get, wild. I love AJ Griffin. That that yeah, would be awesome. Too. Yeah, so yeah, they, they posted and this is as of this recording, they posted at one about a little after one o'clock on uh Wednesday. Um, you know, draft eve. They had um Jeremy Sohan going 12 and AJ Griffin going 13 because the basically, so like 
Chase, you profiled Dyson Daniels at the very beginning of draft season, and he is steadily the result. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Hornets he is, range. yeah. When I did that, I think he was the 13th pick to the Hornets on like Tankathon or something. Yeah. Uh, and within like a week, he was like, oh, the Trailblazers really like him at seven. I was like, oh. Yeah, so good job being ahead of the curve on that one. Yeah, I guess um, so. It, like, <laughs> it was like the first prospect that we profiled, and then over, and it was a, like it looked like a realistic option op- or a realistic option when it was when you wrote it. But within the last, like within a few weeks of that happening, it's basically been like, yeah, he's completely out of the Hornets' range. Unless they yeah, it's it like up. oh, the Kings like him at number four. It's like oh, <laughs> right. I, I think I saw something that had him going like <laughs> yeah. five. Yeah. So um, but uh, so yeah, he so him rising and then Usman Jang rising as well. Uh, has like I guess potentially pushed AJ Griffin to being like the fifth wing taken at the Hornets at thirteen, and it would be fun, kind of funny too with it being Charlotte if they got like Griffin thirteen and Williams fifteen if they kept both the picks. But if we're talking like wings that fit with what's here, like Griffin is exactly, I think, the type of wing that the Hornets would be looking for. A hundred percent. I mean, like Chase said, Griffin is. I mean, realistically speaking, before you said that, I just didn't even think of the possibility that AJ Griffin <laughs> would fall to 13 or 15. Right. He, he's like, like you said, the perfect guy. And even if you're looking at it from a non-draft perspective, like you look at free agency, like there are pathways to get centers, there are pathways to get guards, but there's no really good wing guys that you can get on the market. And if you yeah. get AJ Griffin in the draft, that kind of answers that. Um, but obviously the, the long-term thing is more important. And I mean, six, six, just to, generally solid wing prospect that's going to contribute immediately but also has the potential to turn into something great i think that's ideal you get him in one of the centers like that that sounds like probably the best option on draft night um right i'll keep i'll keep up my jeremy sohan uh, agenda <laughs> but uh, i aj griffin uh, it would be too much to pass up right well so in this in this scenario jeremy sohan goes 12 to oklahoma city and uh. then just that <laughs> right but then at that point like so like, aj griffin he's so What's crazy about him is like he's not even 19 yet. He'll be 19 like in August, I think it is. Um, he's like huge for a wing prospect. Like he's super strong, super bulky, and but and he's like a 45% three point shooter. Like that's you don't see that for 19 year old kids. You don't see that like in general. Like I think one of the things that we kind of get reminded of is how hard it is to find wings in general. Like when you're looking at um, draft prospects and how quickly it's like you find a wing prospect that's actually like good at basketball and how it's like, oh, they're just a lottery pick because any wing that's available <laughs> later on, like it, because like later on you get it's there's like something kind of that limits their wing potential, right? Like they're either not athletic enough, yeah. like they're good enough shooters, but they're not athletic enough. Or if they are athletic enough, they can't shoot. Like it's really hard to find at six, you know, this is a crazy take. But it's hard to find people that are six foot six, super athletic, and can shoot a basketball. Um, <laughs> I've never really thought about that, but you make a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because you have, and AJ Griffin is like exactly that. So I I didn't think of it as a realistic possibility either, but I saw it a couple times. I saw like a couple mocks where he was getting close, where he was like falling to like eleven or twelve, and then. But the the thing is, he's like trending down, which I think concerns people. But I don't really worry about that. But um. I saw the one with ESPN. That's why I wrote the thing about him because I was like, oh, this actually might be an option. So that would be kind of my one of my kind of he's kind of one of my the guys I'm rooting for to fall if uh, Sohan isn't isn't available. And then um, obviously with the centers as well, because I think even if he does fall, I think you probably want 
as much as you don't want to draft for need, it's kind of hard to justify not picking a, a center if there's as good of prospects as they are and them being there. Um, before we kind of talk about other areas of the draft, is there any kind of like late lottery prospect you guys want to talk about, like Malachi Branham or Atari Eason or anything? I, I see. I don't know how many people have him as a lottery prospect necessarily, but he has a green room invite and he worked out for the Hornets. Blake Wesley is probably like my favorite player uh, relative <laughs> to consensus in this class. Yeah. And I would be ecstatic if they picked him at 15, even though I'm sure I'd be one of like 10 people <laughs> in Hornets universe. That would be everybody's really... going to be like, why are we picking a point guard? We have Lamella ball. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. But like he is such a good two way combo guard. If everything pans out for him and he has, and it's like, he's not like, the traditional like flashes player that just kind of shows you things throughout the season, but most of the other times it's not working very well. Like there were Davison's a good example of that. Yeah. Basically like he had some really good games or good moments, but a lot of it otherwise was really bad. Like when Blake Wesley isn't playing well, it's a lot of it is just like shot selection from being a teenager that was playing in a, for a Notre Dame team. uh, And he hadn't really, like was something a, pe- a lot of people I think uh, like not forgetting, but like haven't considered as much as we probably should is like most of the players that are freshmen in this class didn't really play basketball all that much in the last two years because of the pandemic. And like they right. were, it wasn't like a normal a workout schedule, point. wasn't a normal development trajectory for like any of these guys. So he hadn't played like he was never like the lead option uh, or like was never like playing high level basketball as the lead option really up until he got to Notre Dame. Uh, and he started off really well, and uh, throughout the year, as defense has kind of keyed in on him, he got a little bit worse. He wasn't very efficient throughout the year. Uh, he shot like 40% from inside the arc and 30% uh, from three, and only like, I think it was like 66% at the line, but he just has such good mechanics that I believe in all the flashes. Like, he's such a good off-the-dribble creator. He gets downhill easier than anybody in this class that's not Jaden Ivey which is like a huge, huge tool for a combo guard, especially one that already has smooth scoring mechanics and the ability to uh, create his own shot from all three levels. And then defensively, he's really, really good too. He's going to be a great point of attack defender. I think he's really good uh, with anticipation and stuff. And he's 6'4 with a 6'9 wingspan. Uh, He's pretty skinny, but he is like still pretty lean and strong. And I think he's going to fill out once he gets older and stuff. And he was an all-ACC team member uh, as a freshman for a Notre Dame team that made the tournament in spite of people not really thinking that they were going to do that. So there's something to be said for that. And <laughs> I, I, so, I really, really like him, if you could not tell for, from my pitch deck. <laughs> just know, completely, you <laughs> completely glossed over him shooting 40% from the field and 30% <laughs> right? uh, from he's three. Like, he's great. I like Yeah, his shooting percentages are all terrible, but I promise like he's still really good, guys. Yeah, no, I, it, <laughs> that's pretty much my pitch, though. Like, if he, it, yeah. like I, I, I watched a ton of his games this year, and I was just like, every time I came away, I was like, I don't see how that doesn't work if he gets with a good development staff in the NBA. And the Hornets are certainly that, like, even regardless of what the regime change entails that's coming up, I think they'll still be a really good environment for young players to go and develop. And I also don't think he supplants like James Booknight in any way. He's a much better pick and roll ball handler and initiator in general More than Booknight. And yeah, exactly. And they that, that'd be some really, really good athleticism to have in the backcourt coming off the bench for LaMelo. Right. Which I think 
it's kind of lost in the other like kind of holes the Hornets need that the Hornets really don't have a backup point guard. No, they were like at all. Like they could have used someone that was better than <laughs> Isaiah Thomas or Ish Smith last year, as good as both of them were at their right. peak. Um, that right, like really it, helps it, them. right, like it's um, it, it it Terry can do it, but I think you probably don't want. And he was better at it this past year than he was in his first two seasons in Charlotte. But I really think you probably want to keep Terry off the ball more than on it. And so it it's definitely not like. It's definitely not a wasted pick to pick someone that can, because especially with how big Lamelo Ball is, like it's definitely not a wasted pick to have another ball handler that can run the offense if Lamelo's sitting or to play alongside him to take advantage of Lamelo's three-point shooting. Which just to kind of real quick, isn't it crazy? That's the thing we're talking about with how good of a shooter Lamelo Ball is. <laughs> I love that it. was a, so awesome. Wow. The thing when he was coming in, it's like it's just another Ben Simmons. He's never going to make a three. <laughs> and here and, he and is. Like, I, I was like so high on him, and I still did not think he'd be like a volume <laughs> shooter at like 39% off the dribble crazy. within two years. It's, right. it's so crazy how good he's gotten so quickly. And it's only right. up from here. I know. He's, yeah. I think we almost take it for granted not to make this a Lamella ball show, but like he averaged with like <laughs> 27 and seven as a 20 year old. Um, right. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's crazy. Um, uh, Jack, did you have anybody that we hadn't talked about yet? That's your version of Blake Wesley. I did. I, I will not go as in depth as Chase did purely because I can't <laughs> <laughs> just because I can't I can't top that. And I've been I've been playing catch up on draft. But um, and, and again, terrible pronouncing names because I've been catching up. Dale and Terry, uh, somebody I, I've looked Ooh, into I, like him. I, I really like what he brings. And I, I don't know why he's not higher up on draft boards, because like from what I've read and from what I've watched, it's like the, the main things are unproven shooter and like takes risks like that. Those are the main things I've seen. But generally like if those are the only two downsides as you can tell i'm obsessed with really good defensive guys that can't really shoot well as with, with the sohan <laughs> thing so i guess that's just my niche but we're gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna hire mike d'antoni and then only and give him yeah yeah only play defense that can't shoot <laughs> yeah no work. of course but i mean he realistically speaking he shot 36 percent from three on limited attempts which isn't terrible um so he can shoot it's just not his primary thing he's a decent ball handler we were just talking about how they, they need an extra one he's great defensively which is again something i i love uh he can pass well i, I just think he's a nice well-rounded wing prospect um and it's not like he can't shoot it just needs to improve and you can do that in the league as you've seen with guys like we just talked about lamella ball uh and other guys around the league you can definitely improve shooting so I, I would not complain if they took him at 15 although he's kind of projecting more like 17 to 20 range right now so this is a thing that i remember and i can't remember all of the stuff that went behind it i just kind of i read a lot of stuff and i kind of like took some stuff like kind of took made this out of my own opinion as well. But um, I think people overstate the concern of like high turnover players in college, depending on the nature of their turnovers, because I think there was something, I think it was like, I remember talking about it a few years ago with somebody, but like turnover rate for like point guards is a better predictor of assist rate in the NBA than assists in college are. And I don't remember if that's true, so don't fact check me on that. But it was no, something I, th- along I those think lines. I remember that too. It's it's something like that. Because basically, you win, and I've experienced this myself, like on a personal level. But like, you want kid, like they're kids, right? You want kids that are seeing seeing things, and they're ambitious, and they're like taking risks, and then you like rein that in, and you learn to control it, and you learn to pick their spots. There's a lot more you can do with that than someone that just only sees things when they're open and 
like doesn't anticipate things because the anticipation is a skill that takes refining. And so you have someone like you said with Dalen Terry, where if he's like taking, if he's committing turnovers because he's like trying to force passes into tight windows or like not on the same page with players at times, like those are good turnovers in terms from a scouting perspective. If he's turning yeah. the ball over because like he can't dribble or he just like doesn't know how to handle a double team. That's where there's a concern. But if, if it's just like, oh yeah, he he's sees this opening and he tries to fit a ball, he tries to fit a pass through it, but it isn't there. It's like, I'll take that because then you learn to pick your spots better. And then eventually they become really good passers. Like Trey Young averaged like an absurd number of turnovers per game in college. And he still turns the ball over a lot, but like he's one of the better passers in the NBA. So that's kind of the, the, the give and take you get with college kids that can pass the ball well. Um, The last thing I want to talk, I guess I'll, I'll, I didn't, I don't have like a whole lot of like skin in the game, but I think, I think we want to talk about him a little bit because he was a really popular pick on at the high for a little bit was Tari Eason. Um, do you guys have any strong opinions on him? Cause I think his rate stats, like how much he scored along with his defensive activity and stuff is very enticing, but I feel like everybody's kind of cooled on him in the last, I don't know, the last two or three weeks kind of leading up to this point. I think he's kind of fallen down into the Hornets range when originally he was projected to go, like just before kind of where Sohan is right now, like 12, yeah. 10. Um, if they got him, I wouldn't complain. I kind of similar to AJ Griffin. I just wasn't really paying attention to him as much because I didn't <laughs> think he was in the range. But I mean, like you said, the defense is there. Um, if anything, he's probably a more polished version of Jeremy Sohan, just with slightly less, you know, crazy defensive potential. So I think if he was there for the Hornets, you probably take him. And then one of the centers, um, obviously outside of my Sohan agenda, but <laughs> I, I really, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's a solid option. He's probably the better offensive option out of any of the guys we've talked about, just in terms of he shot the three better and he's just a better scorer in general. Um, so I think he's a nice, he, he's kind of like the perfect blend of offense and defense if the Hornets did want to target a guy at 13 or 15. Yeah. Do you have anything, Chase? Yeah, no, I I, I do like Tari. I don't like him quite as much as Sohan either, mm-hmm. but. Uh, he's a 14th ranked player uh, on my board, so I would definitely be fine <laughs> if he ended up with the Hornets. Uh, and it seems like your dog agrees as well. He's yeah, she's a big Tari Eason fan. fan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. But um, he, he was like a really good offensive player as well in college because his selling point is definitely defense. Like uh, per 40 minutes, he put up 3.2 steals and 1.8 blocks. Uh, that's it's like wild. completely absurd. <laughs> Uh, and then while shooting 36% from three and being one of the best volume scorers in the country, like also per 40, he put up 27.7 points and 10.8 rebounds. So highly, highly productive player analytics really like him, but he does seem to have fallen like a little bit from like basically right in the Hornets range to like just below it. So he should be available for like both picks uh, if they wanted to take him. It's been strange because, like, like you said, like, I mean, you know how like Tankathon does their little like stat strengths and stat weaknesses. Yeah, he's got so much green on his stat. Oh yeah, his statistical profile is like, <laughs> I mean, for what like uh the players in his range is probably the best. Right. It's just the thing that, and he shows like little bits of everything. I just, I think maybe this is the thing that is kind of, I don't know if it's a drawback, but maybe where there's um some hesitancy is just that he's he's he just doesn't play very refined. Like it, it feels like he just kind of like, and obviously he has to be super talented to put up the numbers that he does in the time that he does. But like, there's, there's, there's a good bit of fouling. There's a lot of turnovers. There's a lot of just kind of like bullying his way around. And 
it works. And so I guess so there's like concern that if that translates to the NBA because he's not going to be as the physical advantages he does in college. But I, I definitely can see like there's a a very appealing ball of clay there that can be molded where if you can refine the stuff that he the talent that he has that he becomes a really really good NBA player. And at the very least, he seems like a dude that can just like come in and just wreak havoc off the bench on both ends of the floor and just like yeah, let him go. That's let what him he go did to at LSU too. Right. Yeah, like he he's already <laughs> used to that. Like he he only started four games for LSU last year, but he was always yeah. in their closing lineups. He was an extremely high usage player. Like he's already yeah. played that role. Right. You just like let him go in. It's like, hey, you're you're not going to play. You don't need to like pace yourself to play for 36 minutes. Like go out there for 25 and just cause chaos. You just be like a literal <laughs> wrecking ball. Like the right. Whole time. <laughs> right. And I think that would be. I mean, that'd be fun too. Oh um, yeah. I think so. I don't know. I'm sure there's people we left out. Like I know there's other players that are possible targets. Like we said, like Brandon, we kind of alluded to a couple of times. Ochai is was Hornet was well, the first time I did a mock draft roundup after the order was set. Like every single mock draft had the Hornets taking Agbaji and <laughs> Mark Williams. Um, so that's obviously a possibility, but I'm not a huge fan of drafting like 22 year olds that have one skill. Um, <laughs> it's, so like, I mean, I would, he's got a beautiful jump shot and I would like convince myself that it's a good pick, but it's just like, I, you know, whatever we see players like that, not, turn out to be much all the time um i think but i think we kind of talked about most of the players in the hornets range i think the other thing that i want to talk about that's interesting um and just because this was a really interesting workout what if the hornets trade up like now that portland's you know portland's kind of making moves like to seven or so and they get shade and sharp i would be an incredibly big fan of that uh (laughs) I don't know, like, how I guess, like, how possible it would be. Maybe, like, I don't know if the Horn- mm-hmm. or if the Blazers are trying to just swap like the two picks that right. the Hornets have for seven. Uh, I don't think that that would be like enough to well, move up there. Necessarily. Chris Haynes just tweeted that they want to move seven for OG Ananobi, so that's right. something that's also happening in the world. Okay, which is well, yeah, weird. But... <laughs> well, there we go. Now we're, we're we got live newsbreakers. Uh, Jack Simone on the, on the, on the I, podcast, right? Break, breaking news. <laughs> no, that like twelve yeah, that hours before this comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it right. Does, but, though, yeah. but like, because now it's a, like I don't see. I think there's a relative chance he falls to like maybe ten or eleven, and then you could package yeah. thirteen and fifteen to move up for him. But if he goes in the top ten, it's probably not possible. I really right. like him though. Like, yeah, he obviously is kind of like doesn't have nearly as much film available or stats that you we can pour through uh, as any other prospect in this class pretty much but he's a really good shot creator he can has range well beyond the nba three-point line he's a very very good athlete uh seems to he plays pretty hard offensively like he is constantly looking for his shot he's a, a somewhat willing playmaker uh in this eybl film and other than that like the tools are definitely worth betting on, I think, to see if he can pan out. And Greensboro's a good G League program, so if that's an option, then there we go. Right, I like, tend to agree. I, yeah, I. so for one, I think it surprised everybody. I, I really enjoyed the reactions when the Hornets tweeted out. They're like, all right, we have another workout today. It's Shaden Sharp by himself. And everybody's like, what? Wait, what? That Why? was his first individual workout of the uh, whole draft process. Right. And I think it might have been one of the only ones, too. He did a lot of uh, like three-on-three workouts. Mm-hmm. right which is also like so 
we'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, I think in terms of the player, like I think if you were to like build a prospect in a in a lab, I think you get Shaden Sharp, right? Like yeah, six for the five most with part. long arms. Like <laughs> his trainer, or whatever, tweeted that he's like a forty nine inch vertical, which is probably an, a, an embellishment, but he can really get up. Um. And he can shoot. His shot looks really good. I, I think there's like concerns about his defense and stuff, but all of his film is in the EYBL, which like it's high school basketball. No one plays defense. No one has any. None of them have any idea what they're doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> just so I don't know. I think, and I also think part of the appeal, and I know I'm being trapped by this too, is that the fact that he hasn't played enough to be bad makes everyone think. You know, it leaves lots of room for the imagination to like you know, really sell yourself on like, he's got so much talent. How could he not be a good basketball player? But um, I think obviously the interest being there is worth paying attention to. And I think the other part of it too, is I think, I don't think it's fair that people are like knocking him for not playing Kentucky. No, definitely not. He great. He graduated high school early. Uh, right to do that basically like he could have <laughs> played out the year at his high school and just committed to kentucky for the following year yeah he, he graduated high school went to kentucky and then he's like oh wait i'm draft eligible like let's just do that and it's just like if your end goal is to get to the nba why would you not we do yeah why would that? you not go as quickly as possible like why would you right. risk injury for a season like, yeah like yeah, if a team been... in the top 10 is telling you they're going to draft you regardless of whether or not you play exactly. you do that like and, and like yeah. a huge shout out to the people in his camp for getting him to that place too, like right. to where he didn't have to play and still is like in contention to be anywhere basically outside the top five. Right, like it, it's if if you know you're going to be a top ten pick and you don't have to play games to do it. I know people are like, well, he, I want someone that loves to play basketball. It's like I'm sure he does, but also like you probably, but you, you like you have to like think he's probably taking a big picture approach, and I'm sure it's not entirely his decision, but like. Say, hey, I just want to play basketball. It's like, yeah, but if you play basketball and you go cold shooting and you like twist your ankle, all of a sudden you're like a late first round pick. And, or you can like just like chill for six months, be a top 10 pick, and then you're playing basketball for the rest of your life as long as you want to, like in the NBA. And I don't think, and I also don't think that people, I think people forget that just because he's not playing televised basketball games doesn't mean he can't be playing basketball. Right, like he was practicing yeah. with Kentucky every single day. Like, right. he's playing like basketball. Oscar Shibway, like one of the biggest and most physical players in all of college basketball. Like he he's getting valuable yeah. reps every single day. Like, right, he's he's not just like, all right, guys. Well, I'll be. I'm gonna take. It. He's not like Anthony Davis. Like I haven't touched a basketball since my last day of high school. Like, yeah, right. If, that's if 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 whether or not he works out or as an NBA prospect is gonna have nothing to do with whether or not he played college basketball exactly but also one other thing a uh, great name for like a star nba player i think that helps excellent name absolutely excellent name <laughs> great. Uh, the the alliteration is perfect uh, it's it's like a nice uh, pun, no pun intended it's a really sharp sounding name yes uh, it's just like rolls right off the tongue uh, excellent name bound to and be then, an all-star and then the sharp like it also being sharp too like yeah with an e at like, the end it's like <laughs> like chef chef's kiss excellent job <laughs> I've always said like the best basketball names are the ones with like a very unique first name and a very boring like last name like LeBron James Kawhi Leonard like just that's it's just, it's just that's a it's very very good point. It's wow, a great that's, observation. That's incredible. Yeah, you might be. You, you <laughs> I might mean, be a genius, Jack. 
that's that's how that's just how I name my two K players. And I was I found like the most <laughs> unique first name, and then I just pick like Johnson or like James. Or something, it's something like right. uh, that guy that worked out for the Hornets, uh, Philandris Fleming. Like that. that that's probably <laughs> that might be one of the best basketball names of all time. I, I, I hope would, that he gets a summer league shot or something. Story, a story, real fast story. I was, I was, t- I was at work and I was like, it was just like chatting with my friend at work, and that when the Hornets like tweeted, like these are today's draft prospects, and I was like, because the whole list of names that day was like these can't be real people, and I remember I was like <laughs> reading the name, like no offense to them, but their names were not common names, and uh, I was reading the names off to him, and he does not follow basketball at all. And I was like Flanders Fleming Jr. And he like laughed, and then he like texted me later in the day. I was like, "What was that guy's name again?" I was like, "Flanders Fleming." It's like that guy. That guy's a stud. <laughs> it's an incredible name. He's he's pretty good too. Like he's love- a very good defender. He has that going for him. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he stays around. But yeah, I just wanted to talk about Sharp because um, just like he worked out for the Hornets, so there's definitely something going on there. Um, I guess I probably need to put a commercial break right here. So here's a commercial break, guys. We'll be right back. And we're back. So, uh, real quick to wrap up, um, I think. Do you guys? Have, so the Hornets picked forty-five as well. Um, with with that, I wanted. It was funny. I did the mock draft roundup thing on Monday, and I just like grabbed. I just like grab a bunch of like. I just Google like NBA mock draft, and I grab a bunch of, you know, reputable outlets and kind of consolidate those and it was really funny that the ones that did go the full 60 almost universally put a player at 45 that one of us has talked about so like kudos to us for that there we go (laughs) look at that because we have you know we can't obviously there's so much variation that could happen there that we we just kind of have to pick and choose favorites and then like jd davison was on there uh who else was on there josh Minot was on there uh someone that you wrote about jack was on there it's like all right good job us like we just just nailed it but um do you guys like who are your favorite? I guess second round picks. Start with you, Chase. Um, so I have two that are two of my favorite players in the draft. Um, not like because I think they're gonna like gonna be. Some like of you the think best they're gonna be all stars, right? Yeah, I just really like them. Uh, I'll start with the local pro or not local, but somewhat local. Uh, Hun Jung Lee. He would actually be the second South Korean player ever drafted. Uh, to the NBA, but he went to Davidson for the last three years uh, and played under Bob McKillop, who just retired uh, one of the better, most underrated coaches in college basketball recent history. Um, But he is a, like, completely elite, like, prodigious movement catch-and-shoot shooter from mid-range and three-point range. Uh, he, I think he knocked down 176 threes. I'm not even looking at his basketball reference page right now. I've just <laughs> seen it so many times that I remember it. Um, in three years, uh, he obviously was like a pretty, uh, it was 173. I'm so upset with myself, but uh, either way, he was one of the best shooters in the country for all three years. He's a career 40% shooter. He basically is like as versatile out of catch and shoot option or out of catch and shoot situations as Duncan Robinson is. Uh, he was the, I think he was second in the country in points per possession on off-screen plays uh, in uh, last season, well, second to Tevin Brown, who's also probably one of the other best movement shooters in this class, though he doesn't have quite as much of a chance to get drafted as Hunjung does, I don't think, because Hunjung Lee is also 6'8", and while he is a very poor athlete in most standards and not very strong, 
if he can just get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster to be able to defend on an NBA court, like that type of shooting is going to keep you in rotations, at least during the regular season and the first round of the playoffs. Maybe you have to sit a little bit like we saw Duncan Robinson. But I mean, to be fair, Duncan Robinson is definitely a better athlete than Punjingly. So that's my first guy. But uh, I'll save my second one. Do either of you guys have a one I, that you want to go with? I think with Lee, as like for for one, I love the idea, like the South Korean aspect of things. Like you know, it's a it's no. I know that's know. so uh, sick. Like I really, right. really want him to get picked, like really bad. Right. And the he's shooting, like one of the most popular like athletes in that country. Yeah, and we also like yeah. So we we I, I would love to see that just from like the the, the human interest story then of that. Um, I am concerned that like my like thirty year old chubby self has like the same vertical leap that he does. Um, it, it's twenty five and a half <laughs> inches was his standing <laughs> vertical, and tw- I think twenty seven was his max vert, which were both the lowest uh, at the G League Elite camp, and he was the slowest player that wasn't a center and some centers were faster than him at that camp. Right. I, well I think when I measured, throw. when I did my, when I did my like personal combine during COVID, I think my max vertical, my, my nose step was lower, but I think my max vertical was 27. So like there's still hope for me yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe you just got to grow to six, eight. Just I, just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still young. Hit that 31 year old growth spurt. Everyone um, has those. Yeah. But I mean the shooting, like I think the heat have also shown that like, if you just get guys that are really, really good shooters and then you can kind of like build up the rest of their skill set around that, just like there's so much gravity in having three point shooting ability that it can kind of open up the floor, both for that particular player and for the players around them. So I, I don't, you never hate taking a flyer. It's also like the, he just filled out Ar- Arnaldo's Kabulka sot since he hasn't really shown enough to really want to keep around if the Hornets don't really choose to do that. Yeah, I, I mentioned that in the profile I wrote about him too. Like, I like Koboka, um, but Hunjingly is a much better strict shooting prospect than Koboka is. Right. Were you gonna say Jack? No, no, no. I was just I was agreeing and mumbling yeah, to myself oh, yeah. while well, he's talking. <laughs> now go ahead and t- well now pick your player or players. yeah yeah. So the first thing is not that it would happen, but on like the two percent chance it happens, I think you have to take one of the two Duke guys like Keels or Wendell Moore. Like if they mm. somehow fall. Uh, down to Hornets, I think that's that's the pick, just purely out of like one yeah. no more because he can help win now and kills because of the potential. But in terms of realistic players available, that spot I also have two guys that I like. I'll start with one. I really like Jabari Walker out of Colorado. I think the defense that he brings is just like again sticking with my own personal just agenda to pick guys <laughs> who are really good on the defense. I mean, the Hornets need it, so you're not like yeah. off base here. So, yeah, I mean, I just really like what Jabari Walker brings to the court, like the, the energy, the intensity he plays with. Um, He's not a bad shooter. He obviously has room to grow on that side of the court. But um, I think his defensive potential alone is enough to warrant like a second round flyer at 45. So that's the first guy. I, I can't go as in-depth with the stats mm-hmm. again as Chase did with <laughs> with Lee. But yeah. um, Jabari Walker is the first guy I would look at if he falls to 45. He's kind of sneaking up into the late 30s. But, yeah. I um I have a few and so for me the second round I'm not a fan of taking and one of the people I'm gonna mention is like it goes against this but there's for other reasons but like I don't like the idea of like you just take guys that are old college players that were good college players like because I feel like that's a lot of the second round I think it's kind of we're getting away from that a little bit because more players are going into the draft with the expectation of being second round picks, even though they're younger, as opposed to trying to like always play their way up. 
but I don't like you take guys that were like non-factors early in their college career, and then they're just like become effective players through development by the time they're 22. And it's like, yeah, that guy's just going to be an NBA player. Like probably not. So uh, it's kind of a long-winded thing, but I like the idea of targeting young guys that are like disappointments almost, but have like a very, very unique skill like Josh Minot from Memphis or JD Davison that I alluded to earlier from Alabama. Like those are two guys that I like in terms of, cause like, you have like Manat's athleticism and he kind of has that passing potential, like feel for the game type of stuff where it's like, you know, if you can kind of rein him in, you have like a really versatile defensive player. He's like a off brand version of Jeremy Sohan in, in the second round. And then JD Davison as ineffective as he was at Alabama. Like he's got those moments where he has that like explosiveness that you're talking about chase with Jaden Ivy. And uh, who else did you say with that? Um, Blake Wesley. Yeah. But like, obviously, hasn't put it all together yet. But you have that same like those flashes of that same kind of ability, right? Where it's like, well, maybe he just didn't adjust. He didn't have enough time to adjust to the college game. He only played one year. He's coming off the bench. Like, he was a top ten prospect coming out of high school. Like, there's still there's talent there. And those are the kind of guys I want to see the Hornets take second round picks on. Like they did that with Scotty Lewis last year. Like I really like that kind of methodology to picking second round picks. Um. The other guy that just like a personal affinity, I think he's going to go higher, but I really, really like David Roddy. Just because, I love like, David Roddy. He's so like, fun. I'm, 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 I said this in my profile of him. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a thick boy that likes to play on the perimeter and shoot threes and stuff. And there's like, that's very underrepresented in high level basketball. So it's just a joy to watch a dude. That's like a giant, like width wise, just like, handle the ball the way he does and shoot like step back threes and stuff. Like it's just a joy to watch. I, he measured in at the exact same height and weight that Rob Gronkowski did at the NFL combine. Right. Exactly. Uh, but, and, and he just is ab- just drilling like step back jumpers, like over screens <laughs> with hands in his face. It's so awesome. I know. And like, he's like crossing people up like in ice yeah. situations. He's quick. He's like yeah. legitimately quick. Not even like, Ooh, quick for his size. Like he is, right. he's just quick. No, I, he's so he's so fun to watch. Like, he's exactly what I just talked about as a dude that was just like grew into a co- good college player that I don't tend to think are super appealing second round picks. But he's just he's such a, a like a novelty, I guess you could say, not to like dehumanize him, but with his his frame and his skill set, that it's just it would be so much fun to have him just around. And he played in the Mountain West too. The Hornets love the Mountain West. The Martin Twins, Joe oh, yeah. Daniels. <laughs> That's they, true. All, all, they all played in the Mountain West Conference. So I like the Hornets love the Mountain West as they as you could tell by the one draft they took all Mountain West players. <laughs> yeah, right. In the, <laughs> the last like two years or whatever. Yeah. Three years ago. Yeah, three years ago we just took all Mountain West players, so we clearly have an affinity for the conference. Um I guess to wrap it up before because you know it's draft day, it's draft night. Um, do you have any other draft takes that we want to talk about on like not Hornets related? Like, do we think like everybody's got it wrong with like their one, two and three or the order of their one, two and three being uh, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro? Like, is that wrong? Or is like somebody else in the top five better than them or what? Jack, you go first. Do you have anything? Uh, I think I'm higher on Chet Holmgren than most people are. I, I think I, I feel like he would be my first pick in the draft, but that's not a knock on Jabari Smith. Like Jabari Smith seems like he's got the more defined game. Like he's going to come into the league. You know what role he's going to play and he's going to be elite at that role. Whereas Chet Holmgren is more of the 
unicorn, even though that term's like overused now. Like he's genuinely <laughs> just this freakishly tall, skinny dude who can do kind of everything. Um, and then I think people are too down on Paulo Bancaro at this point. Like it's kind of like, oh, he's third. Like oh, he's third of this elite top three. He must be bad. Like no, he's still going to be like a super effective NBA player. And then outside of that, I guess I don't really have any super hot takes outside of my uh, Sohan agenda. I do think Dyson Daniels. <laughs> needs to get a little bit more love even though he's like skyrocketing i think he should get even more i, I also love him but um yeah he, just the chet Holmgren thing really dyson daniels does feel like like as, as he skyrocketed up the boards thanks to chase's player profile on him back in uh april or may whenever we started doing those um it's just kind of like he's just kind of like a throw-in in all of these mock drafts right everyone's like a bunch of a bunch of love for like the the top three and like Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivy and then just like oh yeah Dyson Daniels and then we go back to talking about like <laughs> Shaden Sharp and Johnny Davis and there's like mm-hmm. a lot more discourse about those guys, um, where like Dyson Daniels just kind of like slides in there and doesn't actually get much legitimate like conversation. Yeah. Um, Chase, did you have anything? I mean, now that we're, I'm glad Jack brought up Dyson because now that we are talking about him. We've talked about all five of my favorite players in the draft um, <laughs> with Blake Wesley, Dyson, Jalen Duren, Hunjung Lee, and uh, Vince Williams. So uh, I, I, Dyson's like my number five prospect in this class. I think he he definitely should be getting just as much or if not more uh, like love and, you know, raising stock than he is right now. Um, I also think I agree with Jack that I, I, chat is, um, I think he's the best player in the draft pretty firmly as well. I think he has like legitimate defensive player of the year potential if everything goes right for him. Um, Oh, and another one that I was thinking of like uh, today while I was thinking of something to a hot take to throw (laughs) out uh, on the show. What if the Hornets uh, trade like whatever pit 13 and 15 make both picks or whatever, don't pick a big and then and they just Mitch Kupchak just keeps like needling us and picking a second round big and they just wait for 45 <laughs> to pick a center. Like what, how awesome would that be? If like, the no. center, like, like, and there are some decent options at 45, like way better than there have been in past years. Like mm. the pro the big prospects available, I think then are going to be way more appealing than Nick Richards or Vernon Carey uh, were at the time. But like, how funny would that be if we just get like Ishmael Kamagate or Christian Coloco or something, <laughs> Uh, and then, like, two developmental wings in the first round or, like, oh. a, a, a veteran wing and another one or something. That'd be so funny. Yeah, take, like, well, I guess Sohan would kind of, you could, like, convince yourself he's a big, but they take, like, I don't know, like, Griffin Falls, and then they take, like, Abaji or so. I will say, like, Sohan and Griffin or something like that, right? And yeah. then we go and take, like, Jalen Williams or Cole yeah, Cole yeah. Cole in the second round. Which, by the way, I do really like Jalen Williams. I do, yeah, just, like, yeah, yeah. just the absurdity of him taking, like, 60 charges in a single collegiate season. That's... It's, uh, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> and th- that's what I mean. Like, there are some decent options, like, available for bigs in the second round that are, like, more yeah. appealing than the last yeah. few dress- <laughs> qu- uh, just, crops of just, second round bigs. Just go full, like, we go all in on the idea that NBA centers are the equivalent of NFL running backs, where it's like you don't actually need a good one. You just got to find 
Right. Like, like do you want do you system. want Saquon Barkley number two overall or Philip Lindsay undrafted? Like do you right, want exactly. Mark Williams thirteen or Ishmael Kamagate un, undrafted free agent? Like right. This is, these are the choices you have to make. That would be it. Would be very funny. I don't know if I could handle the comment section of of at the hive. No offense to the at the hive listeners if that happened, but um, it would be very funny in the moment. Um, the only thing I want to talk about, I feel like, is it just me or am I like? Because I feel like there's always players that don't really pan out all that well at the top. It, I would be concerned, and we'll wrap it up with this completely irrelevant Hornets take, that like I feel like four through six-ish, like like in the ESPN one I'm looking at with Ivy, Murray, and uh, Mathurin, where like all three of them I'm, are just like kind of, I would feel iffy about them. Maybe it's because I don't know enough about them, but I feel like, there's a lot of projection to them. Like Ivy is like statistically one of the worst defenders in college basketball last year. And if the shot is the shots, like kind of, it was like effective in college, but if it's not there in the pros then it's like his one, he just, he's just an athlete. And then Keegan Murray kind of, obviously he's a better player, but like it's the same kind of situation as Obi top in the other year. Where it's like, he's only a sophomore, but he's also like 22 years old. And, it's like I was kind of alluding to a second round picks. He just kind of was like better at, at basketball than other college kids. So it's like, what's his NBA thing? You know what I mean? Are those are those bad yeah. takes or bad reasons to be concerned about those guys? I think they're valid concerns. I mean, the Ivy thing, I definitely understand. I, I think I'm a little more high on Keegan Murray just because I think his floor maybe is higher. Um, mm-hmm. And I also think Obi Toppin got kind of screwed by Tom Thibodeau uh, in his slight <laughs> defense. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. And then Benedict Mathurin, I admittedly don't know nearly enough about to like, right. like you said, I don't know. He's just, they're, they're like in that weird middle ground where they're not good enough that everyone knows about them, but they're not like, not bad, yeah. but they're not enough to be in the Hornets range at all. Right. So yeah, that's part of our, I mean, it's partly like a, a personal problem on our parts because they're not, everything that's like nationally talked about is, uh, the, those, the top three and like just repeating those top three and then this four to eight range is just like not yeah. even worth us paying attention to but I don't know it's just there's just like I could I can see these paths where those guys like don't meet expectations because there's like this hole in their game that's kind of that seems kind of substantial for players that are being so highly regarded um though if the, the Kings do end up with Jaden Ivey that's quite an intimidating guard rotation backcourt of uh De'Aaron Fox, Jaden Ivey, with Davion Mitchell being a pest. Um anyway, and you guys uh, I think we kinda covered everything. I feel like we stretched it a little thin. I stretched you guys a little thin with those last questions. Uh anything else you want to take away or send everybody out away with before we wrap up? I think I think we're good. We hit on a whole bunch of stuff. This was a this was a good one, I think. I think so too. Jack, yeah. you got anything? I no, I concur. I think we covered pretty much everything as far as the draft. I'm I'm just hyped. I, I love the draft. Like I said at the start, I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, I already I already set my DVR to record it for some reason, as if I'm going to rewatch it later. But I always <laughs> I always I, I always do it. I do I think I do it every year, and I never actually rewatch it. But just see, I get so excited that I feel like I'm going to want to watch it more than once. Um, but yeah. So with that, uh, going to wrap up this episode of the At the High Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate your uh, patience, as it's been a while since we had an episode. Um, we will talk to you guys again at some point. See ya.